Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We have been in this series that we're simply calling Family, family Values. Uh, we've been in this for the last several weeks. If you're just joining us this morning, I saw like several new faces uh, this week, which is encouraging. But if you're joining us, we're in the middle of a series where we are trying to, uh, best we can, kind of put language to behaviors that we want to be as a church. A lot of these are already in the DNA. It's already woven into the fabric of who we are as a church. But now what we're trying to do is just put some language to them so we can put them on posters and put them on t-shirts and we can say, no, hey, we want to be these kind of people. And we're calling ourselves up into a standard of living that says, hey, we're going we're gonna to be and we're going to act like the people who we say we are. And so we've said thus far, we are a gospel obsessed family of kingdom people. Those are the first few weeks. Last week, what we dove into was the second sentence of the values is that we see generosity as a response. So we don't consider generosity to be some thing that we have to do here at the church. We don't see generosity measured in percentages. We don't see generosity as a ought to. We see it as a get to. I simply am going to respond to what God has already poured out for me. And that's what's gonna mark our generosity here. It's not gonna be obligatory. It's not gonna be filled with kind of this sense of shame or weirdness or guilt or pressure, but rather we're going to come and we're going to bring not just our money, but we're going to bring our calendar. We're going to bring our resources all laid at the feet of Jesus saying, God, this all belongs to you. Every single thing that I have, every single thing that I can produce comes from you. And so here it is back to you, God. That is how we view generosity. This week, what we're going to dive into is that joy is our default. Joy is our default. I think joy uh, gets so muddled and confused in our English language these days. My, and gosh, doesn't everyone want joy? Everyone wants to look like that joyous person. Like, and probably that joyous person in your office, you, you might think is the most annoying person, but it's just because you wish you were that joyous. Am I right? Am I right? So like, I, uh, I, I want to show you guys a clip. And this is from, I don't know if any college football fans in the room real quick. Okay, seven of you, seven of you, you're with me for this point. So just stick along for just a sec. Um, last weekend, pretty big deal. I don't know why, but as college football fans, we all just sort of hate who? Alabama. Yeah, we just do, right? I mean, yeah, it's like we all root against the Clemson Tigers. Unless you're from there, and if you're from there, I've got no beef with you. I, I actually don't care that much, okay? But like it was, the bat it was a pretty big SEC battle. We had uh, Alabama coming in at number three um, versus Tennessee, who was ranked number six in the nation. Uh, first time in 30 years these two teams have met where they've both been undefeated coming into the game. Big deal, big rivalry. Last second of the game, Tennessee kicks just a funky looking field goal. Wasn't that weird? Like it just sort of like fluttered around, but goes through the uprights. They win. The place like, the place might as well have melted to the ground. Like, I, like it looked like a bunch of orange bees flooding the field out of nowhere until it was like you couldn't tease out what was seats, what was fans. Like it was just a sea of madness. They're interviewing the president. He's like smoking the cigar. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm just calling it what it is. He's smoking the cigar. Someone's asking him, he's like, what do you think about that? As the fans are literally carrying the goalposts out of the stadium because they're going nuts, right? And he's just like, this is awesome. It should happen every year, you know? And, and, and here, here's a little moment captured from that game.
so we're all on the same page. That is a grown man folding in on himself, weeping because his favorite football team beat another football team in a game. I mean, just, I know a lot of us, we've been there, right? We've been on that side of the emotion. We've been on the other side of the emotion. Any Broncos fans in the room? We're just like, come on now. There's no joy in that season right now. You know what I'm saying? But I love Robert RG3, right? The quarterback, he says, man, I pray that all of you could find joy like this, where this guy's just like, like ear, like he's not going to recover from that quickly. You know what I mean? And, and yet I would argue that's not joy. It's not joy. It's happiness. Dude's really, really happy. And I, I think a life marked by happiness is wonderful, but I, I want something deeper than happiness. I want, I want a life marked by joy. I want a life marked by joy. Happiness is, is fickle. Happy, happiness can fade in an instant. I'll tell you what, like um, all the new ads for the iPhone 14, y'all seen those? Pretty fun, right? Like I've, some of y'all Android users are like, nah, but hey, just relax, okay? I got my iPhone 14, got that box. And man, tell you what, I was, I was really happy. I like, I, I did, I opened that thing up and that purple looks good. And I was like, this is the thing that's been missing from my hand for so long now, you know? But how weird that this thing that can bring me so much happiness in a moment can give me a phone call the next moment where my happiness can be gone in a second. And to be serious for just a moment, like some of you, like you know that feeling where the ground falls out in a second. The diagnosis comes back and it's cancer. You get that phone call at the wrong time of day from the wrong person. And you know, this, this is not gonna be good on the other end of the line. Right? And, and I'm just here to advocate today that you don't actually want to be that happy. You don't want to put that much stock in happiness. If you want to be happy, here's just my little secret. This, is, this has nothing to do with my sermon, has nothing to do with the Bible at all. If you want to be happy, it's all about expectations management. Okay, husbands in the room, set the bar low, deliver higher. Your wife will be happy. That's it. Like, I'll just leave that there. You can take that as you want. But happiness, happiness is cheap. Happiness disappears quick. Happiness, you know, like it's something that you, you can always be grabbing after, but somehow it's disappearing as fast as you're getting a hold of it. No, but I, what I want our church to be marked by is joy. So what is joy? Joy is all over the Bible. Joy is this idea that it's this irrevocable, irreplaceable gift that has been given to you by God. It is unique and distinct. We good? Here's my beard. Here's my beard, Colin. Sorry, bro. Um, joy is this unique like irrevocable gift from the Holy Spirit of God that, that isn't based on the circumstances around you. You know, actually the word happiness is, is like this idea of uh, happenings. It, it comes from just happenstance, situations, circumstances around you. That's what gives you happiness. But joy is this thing that can be deep-seated in your heart. So come what may, when the storms of life do come, when the phone call does show up on your phone one time, when you do get that diagnosis, even though you might not feel anywhere near happiness, you can still have joy. Like you don't have to wait for the breakthrough prayer to come true before you can experience joy. You can actually have joy before God shows up with the situation that you've been praying for. Joy is this something that God has gifted to you. He's entrusted it to you. He's deposited it, deposited it into you at the moment of your salvation. And it can be stewarded. It can be fanned up and built up into flame or it can wane and it can dwindle. And some of you are right there where you just feel like, man, I, I know Jesus. I know he's given me this gift. I've experienced the joy of his salvation, but man, that joy feels really distant right now. And so we're gonna talk about that today. How do we get that joy back? What, what is joy? How do we get it back? How do we lose it in different times? We'll start in Romans 14. We'll go through just a handful of scriptures here. Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God 
It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and say that word, joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God, it's not just eating, just drinking, but it's also about righteousness, an honest pursuit of holiness. It's about righteousness, peace, peace that comes from knowing you've been reconciled to God the Father and joy, joy of experiencing the grace of God available to you at the salvation moment in your life. That joy is what the kingdom of God is about. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit of God, calling the believer into a different place. See, joy, joy is not available in the same way to the world as it is to the Christian. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers unless they need to be ruffled this morning because you can be, I'm not saying you can't be happy apart from Jesus. God's common grace is a beautiful thing. Like he, he lets even those who are in the most outright rebellion against him still experience happiness. But joy, no, joy belongs to the believer alone. It is a gift from the Holy Spirit. John 15, 11, Jesus is concluding this, this big thought that we all know so very well. Where he says, abide with me. Abide with me, I and you, you and me, abide in me. And he gives us this uh, picture like a, like a tree. And it's so easy for us to see. Like if you wanna be a tree that bears fruit, you have to be a branch that stays connected. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if you disconnect from Jesus, you're not gonna grow any of his fruitfulness in your life. You're just not. So he says, remain in me, stay close to me. All of your effort, it's not so that you can try and be a better person. You're not trying to put all this effort into cleaning yourself up so that God loves you more. All of your effort is pushed towards, I wanna to remain and fight and claw my way to be as close with Jesus as I possibly can. And the things that distract me from him, I'm gonna ruthlessly cut those out of my life. And the things that draw me close to him, I'm gonna pursue them all the more. That's what abiding looks like. And look what he says that is the point of abiding. He says, I say all these things. I've spoken them to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Do you hear how this works both ways? God's saying, I want to put my joy. It's my thing. I came up with it. It's my idea. I want to put that in you so that your joy may be full. God's vision for you is this abundant, thriving, flourishing life that's full of joy. And he wants you to remain in him so that he can grow that joy up in you. We know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These things, you can, you can produce them in part on your own apart from God, but if you want to experience them to the full, that list of things, it comes from a fruitfulness of abiding in the Spirit of God, abiding in Christ so that he can produce those things in you. You don't watch a peach tree labor to create a peach. It just happens because that's what it is because it remains. It's true to its root. It's true to its form. It stays connected to itself. And if it's connected, the branches are connected. Voila, fruitfulness. And so what, what we're trying to see in the Bible here is that joy is not something that I can just manufacture on my own. It's something that results from a dependency on the spirit of God. First Peter chapter one says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We rejoice with joy. I'm, I'm not here this morning to completely divorce the idea of joy and happiness. I actually think that joy inwardly is gonna manifest itself in happiness outwardly. 
I think that's oftentimes what it looks like. But I think just a blanket statement, just to say that, man, joy is always going to look happy, is just wildly disconnected from how I've experienced it when I've sat with people who have lost loved ones, when I've sat with people who are crying, when I hugged a guy just right here after first service who just lost his wife a month ago, and he's like, I've lost the joy. And I'm like, no, you haven't. You haven't lost God. He's right here. He wants to meet you in this moment. But a lot of times when we are feeling full of joy, what it's going to overflow with is rejoicing happiness, this expression. See, I, I don't, I don't want to be the kind of person that tries to judge what other people's worship looks like, because I don't, I think what this verse says is that um, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Sometimes people are rejoicing to God and it's filled with glory, but it's very somber and it's quiet. Some people, man, it, it's that guy folding in on himself at the Tennessee game, right? Only it's youth camp and the, and the middle schooler is just losing his mind, bawling in his seats. And it's beautiful. Both, both moments can be absolutely the same amount filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I can't tell you what worship has to look like, but I can tell you what it doesn't look like. Does that make sense? So you can tell when someone's having a real encounter with the Lord. And I'm not saying your hands have to be up, that you have to be on your knees just a certain way, that you have to be jumping up and dancing around. But I can tell you that worship doesn't often just look like this. Actually, I don't think it ever looks like that. I try to soften it a little bit, but there, there is a way that it looks. Rejoicing is the expression of being filled inwardly with joy. Just like smiling is the expression of happiness. Yelling might be the expression of anger. Crying might be the expression of sadness. Rejoicing is the expression of joy. And so when we're singing, when we're loud, when we're excited, gosh, like uh, how many of you, you grew up in that church where the expression of joy was not allowed in the church that you grew up in? Can we just see some hands? So many people in first service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super fundamental, super traditional. Like if you would have raised your hands in church, they probably would have gotten an elder involved to have a conversation with you, right? You're laughing, but some of you, that, that was your experience growing up. How many of you, you grew, you grew up in the church that was all hype and entertainment and, and the joy felt completely manufactured and fake, right? Like, let's just be happy for happiness sake. But it's like, you know, they're just like always, hey, come on, come on, let's clap this first song. It's like, man, we're not, I'm not there yet. Right, so I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I want to just hype up something that just, like it does, God doesn't need to be hyped up. He's God. And you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You have been forgiven of your past. You've been set free from the sins that, that once enslaved you, that held you down. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You've been given purpose in this moment of history to make a difference in the world you're living in. You're going to heaven someday for forever. We can be happy about that. Taylor, this week I was working on my sermon. My sermon, when I'm kind of in work mode, my office is right up there. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of two things. It's either like kind of like painstakingly laborious because I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know? And sometimes when you think, like, it, it looks like you're in pain. Anyone else, you know? <laughs> There's some of that sometimes. But sometimes, man, like, and oftentimes when I'm sermon prepping, that's some of my most sweet time with the Lord, where I just feel like he's, he's speaking to me and he's leading to me, and I feel so, so intimately close to him. And uh, I was having one of those moments. I was, I was just like, I was feeling it, you know? I'm writing things down on my whiteboard. I'm grooving, and Taylor walks by, and he kind of pauses at my door and kind of looks at me like that, you know? And I'm like, oh, what's up? And he's like, what's up? Are you good? And I was like... Bro, you and me are going to heaven for forever. And we get to be with Jesus for forever. Like I get to be, I've been reconciled to him now. I get to start making war against the enemy right now. Dude, like I'm good, dude. Right? I'm, and that's not, I'm not trying to make that up. I'm not trying to hype something up that doesn't need hyped. That's just true. And that's irrevocable. 
whether or not the circumstances around you look like you are a redeemed, set-free saint of the Most High God, that is true. Whether or not that you're feeling that in a moment doesn't matter. It is God's unwavering, unrelenting gift towards you. It doesn't change. Our circumstances change for sure, but he never does. All the promises in Christ are yes and amen, and they're, they're, they're always there. You've been forgiven, set free. I mean, do, do I need to go on? Like we, this doesn't move. The world moves, happiness moves. It is a hard target to hit on the head. Joy though, joy is this bedrock that the Christians get to put their feet on that says, I have been touched by the grace of God and I know him and I love him and I'm gonna be with him for forever. And that is awesome. That is awesome. So the question is though, here's the question. The question is, but why, why don't we always actually feel that way? Why don't we always actually feel that way? I think Philippians 4.4 is a great verse for this topic. In fact, Amazon Kindle said this was one of the most highlighted passages in the Bible app uh, on the Kindle. So this, I mean, this is one of the go-to verses. You know this verse probably. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. It's a tall order, Paul. Bro, always? Always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So pause right here. Paul's going to frame everything else that he's about to say by saying, hey, the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. Like we need to be reminded of the story that we find ourselves anchored in, that God has not forsaken this world and he hasn't left us. And one day he's coming back and he's going to be clothed in white linens and he's going to be on a horse and it's going to have a robe dipped in blood. He's going to have a tattoo on his thigh and there's going to be a sword coming out of his mouth and he's coming for his world. Amen? He's coming back. And we need to find ourselves anchored in that story. If you are drifting off of joy, I wonder if you're drifting away from this story in your mind that you, you are forgetting to remind your soul that you have been saved and that God has not finished his work in you or in the world yet. Sometimes when joy feels distant, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to remind our souls who we are and who he is, what he's done and what he's going to do. Amen? So it keeps going though. The Lord is at hand. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's, I, I have to encourage some of you who struggle with anxiety, some of you who struggle with depression and some of these things just plague your mind. God in this verse, he's not condemning anxiety, but he's showing you where to take it. And so really the hurt comes for you when you don't know what to do with your anxiety. It's not wrong that you feel that way. It is wrong if you sit with it too long. It's wrong if you don't take it to the right place. So for some of you, the joy feels distant, the joy feels removed. And I wonder if part of the reason is because you have taken those anxious thoughts and you have, and you have festered on them too long. You have sat with them for too long. You have entertained them too long. And now what you're doing is you're giving power to them in your mind rather than taking that anxious thought, laying it at the feet of Jesus, saying, God, I'm not in control of my job. I'm not in control of my income. I'm not in control of this situation right now with my, with my grandson who I love, with my daughter whom I love. I'm not in control here, God. I'm starting to feel anxious. And you, instead of letting that thought just perpetuate in your mind, you go, nope, I'm gonna take everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and I'm gonna lay it at the feet of Jesus and I'm gonna trust him. I just think at the end of the day, when you're stressed and when you're anxious and when you're tired, it's just a lot easier to come home and open up a white claw than it is to go and to take your requests and lay them at the feet of Jesus. 
I just think with that cult, our culture that we live in right now, it's created this way. It is way easier to just binge watch the, the next season of whatever you're watching on Netflix. Well, they make it so easy, don't they? The next episode starts in five, four, three, oh, okay, I'm hooked, I'm in. You know what I mean? Like, it just happens so quick. It's so much easier to just have some friends over who you just know how to have a good time with and how to, how to, have, like, how to slip into some different things. But like, it's just so much easier to medicate and to numb than it is to actually deal with the problem that's causing your anxiety. And I think Paul's reminder here in Philippians 4 is not just this command to rejoice always, although that is there. He's saying, hey, and when you feel anxious, there's some things that you can do to not get trapped in that anxiety. So the first thing is we can't forget the story of God. The second thing, if we're drifting from joy, is that we can't numb or medicate from the pain that we're feeling in this world. And the third thing is we have to practice steering our mind in the right direction. Look at this. He says, supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. There is something so inextricably linked with joy and peace. When you have peace, it's probably because you have joy. When you have joy, that will give you peace. And those things come from, from Jesus Christ, who is going to give you that peace that's going to surpass your human understanding. So even if the situation doesn't make sense right in front of me right now, I can have peace because God can give it to me. And that's going to guard my heart, guard my mind in Christ Jesus. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure or lovely, commendable, excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you hear how non-passive this is? He's saying, take the time to do a mental inventory of the things that are going right, the things that God is doing. Make yourself a list to stir up gratitude in your heart if you need to. Because on your worst day, God has still done some pretty tremendous things. Am I right? And so what we do is we actively practice these things. He says, if you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. Put effort towards them. Don't just distract yourself with mindless scrolling through Instagram. Don't just distract yourself by buzzing your kids around all day, even though they, I know you're their taxi right now at this stage of life. But you can make time for worship in the car. You can make time for a podcast while you're doing different things. You can practice the things that God has already given you so that you can continually stir up affection and devotion to him rather than settling for numbing or medicating or just plain distraction. So you just kind of put your fingers in your ears and just pretend like nothing is wrong. La, 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 la. Nothing's wrong. La, la, la. No, Paul's saying, get your fingers out of your ears. Practice the things that you know that God has given you to do that I've already demonstrated for you and work for them. Do these things, do these things, and the peace of God will be with you. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul, sometimes you read Paul and you're just kind of like, dude, whatever. Like, okay, you've clearly got it all together and I don't, but that's okay. Like he can help us in this way, right? So Paul's like, man, I'm rejoicing pretty greatly because I've, I've, got, I've got everything figured out. You know, indeed, you were concerned for me, but you didn't have any opportunity. He's not that, I, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. Paul knew how to get tossed in prison. He knew how to get beaten up. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's, here's every football player, since we're picking on college football today, here's every football player's favorite verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And, and listen, 
That's not, that verse doesn't exist to help you get a sack in a clutch moment on the fourth quarter, okay? I'm proud of you for doing that. Keep taking your creatine, keep working out in the gym, keep doing all your stuff, all right? But that's not what this verse is all about. Let's, let's not just like lift something completely out of context and just cherry pick it however we want. What this is saying is that Paul has, Paul has discovered the secret of contentment. He knows how to be content. And that contentment comes from him hoping in the Lord. What is hoping in the Lord? It is the joyful anticipation that he's going to do something. It's the expectancy that God is going to show up. As he hopes in the Lord, that creates a peace in his life. That peace in his life overflows into joy. That joy produces rejoicing. Rejoice always, he says. Again, I will say it, rejoice. (laughs) Man, what this verse is talking about is like when persecution may come, when the bad days are showing up, where, where is it that you're turning? That will, often, that will often alert your soul to where some idols might exist in your heart. Where you go to medicate, where you go to numb, where you go to just detach from the world around you. But Paul is offering you an alternative. He's saying, no, practice thinking about the things that you know God has done. Choose to rejoice. And at the end of the day, what we have to know is that we can continually hope in him because he is good, always and he doesn't change. So that's, that's, I think, why we struggle and we have so much deficiency with joy at times in our churches. But so how do we, how do we grow in it? How do, we, how do we get better at practicing joy? Because I think you hear, I, I, even me, I was like, I was going over the sermon, writing the sermon down. And I'm like, man, I, I want to be better at looking joyful. And I, listen, I already, do, I already do a decent job at this because I'm naturally just optimistic, okay? But I don't think we, should confuse, we shouldn't confuse joy with happiness. We also shouldn't confuse joy with optimism. Like, so here's, here's what optimism does for me. The other day, Katie and I were having this conversation and she's like, well, in, I, in, a, in an ideal world, you know, this is how it would go. I was like, babe, I'll stop you right there. I live in an ideal world. <laughs> like that, that's what optimism feels like, right? Some of you who aren't wired that way, you just were like, oh my gosh, I get it now why he's always like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just assume that things are gonna go right. That's not joy though. Joy is saying, even if things go to hell, God's still with me, Amen. right? Like optimism, my, my optimism has failed me wildly at different times in my life. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure we can do that. And it turned out we could not do that. You know what I'm saying? Any other optimists in the room? But joy, joy never leaves me. Joy never leaves me. Joy never forsakes me because it's not my joy. It's joy that's given from the spirit of God. It's a gift from him. It's irrevocable. Nobody else can take it away. No situation can take it away. Whatever the market wants to do this next week, and the market's not looking awesome, right? Some of y'all are paying attention. And it doesn't matter. I'll have joy. It doesn't matter what happens to our country. I love this country. I will have joy because I have Christ. I mean, you just go down the line. Joy is not yours to lose. So how do we stir it up? How do we fan it into flame? There's this beautiful story out of Nehemiah. Last week, we used David out of Chronicles. This week, we'll use Nehemiah um, out of his uh, prophetic book. And if you're wondering if I'm using Old Testament books on purpose, the answer is yes. I just think we shouldn't view the Old Testament as some crusty, unapproachable, hard to understand book. It is, it is the word of God just as much as the New Testament. And we should not unhitch from it or detach from it because it helps tell the whole arc of what God is doing throughout time. So side point, that was for free, whatever. <laughs> Ezra and Nehemiah, before our modern Bibles, they were actually written as one scroll, but because they ended up having two different focuses, Foci, right? Come on. Okay. Let's not go there. That's for, yeah, never mind. We'll just leave that joke where it is. Um, Ezra, Ezra, the, the name Ezra means helper. 
uh, the name Nehemiah means comforter. What do those two words remind you of? The Holy Spirit. Right, so like Ezra and Nehemiah, they're, they're really this prophetic image of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Because in, in the book of Ezra, what they do, Israel, if you're not familiar with Israel's story, let me just gloss over it in like 30 seconds. They were, they were in bondage to the nation of Egypt. God rescued them. They liberated them. God put a song on them. As soon as they crossed across the Red Sea, they started praising. Their hands went up. That lifting of hands was because their hands used to be shackled. They were enslaved. They couldn't do that anymore. But now that they're free, my hands can go up, Right? So Israel has been saved. They've been given this promised land. God prepared this place for them. But because they chose to follow after their own people, they they chose to follow after uh, gods in their own eyes. They rebelled against God. God kicked them out of the promised land. He said, hey, this land was yours, but, but you have chosen to rebel against me. So they got exiled. Babylon took them over. They got kicked out. Now they're at this place years later where they finally get to go back into the promised land because repentance has finally come into their heart. They realized how bad they messed it up. And God's like, okay, now you can come back into your land that I've always had for you. The invitation for repentance is always come back in here. It doesn't matter how far you think you've gone. Come back to me is what God is saying. And so in Nehemiah, this picture of the Holy Spirit that you have is is it's taken Israel uh, over 70 years to try to complete the wall and they still haven't finished it yet. Right? So, so in a lifetime of work, they couldn't get it done. But then with God, when Nehemiah gets sent to go rebuild the law, he, he is called to go rebuild the wall. He gets it done in like, in like two months. He finishes the project in two months. So in other words, what the Holy Spirit's trying to show us, the blues clues that he's leaving for us, is that you can spend your whole life trying to do things on your own effort, or you can have your life change in a moment because of what he wants to do. And that doesn't mean for a second that what I'm saying is that, man, just give your life to Jesus and your problems are going to go away. But no, but you can set your life on the right trajectory in one moment with the partnership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so Nehemiah's building this wall. He's putting it back together. He won't come down, right? He's building the wall. He's focused. I got a task to do. And he builds the wall. He completes it. And here's what we're going to read is that the dedication of the wall. They gather all the nation to come and to, and to see what's, what God has just accomplished, right? They bring Ezra and Nehemiah. And it says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. What's happening in this moment, the law is being read and Israel is just starting to fall into despair. Why? Because they realize how much they've fallen short. Like I'll tell you this moment right here, that is a preacher's dream. We just have people going like, I have fallen so low. I have messed up so bad. I have rebelled so far against God. And he's got them right there. But then, but then what happens? The script flips. He's saying, don't weep. They all wept as the law of God was read. And then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. In other words, he's saying, throw a party. Don't weep. Now's not the time to weep. It's not the time to mourn. Now's the time to rejoice. Why? Because the grace of God is available to Israel in this moment. Where they have fallen so low, God is saying, no, but I've given you your land back. I've given you a place. I've given you my presence back. It was not that you deserved it. It's that I graciously gave it to you. So in this moment of experiencing grace, now we can read the next verse. Eat this, prepare this. And it says, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, if you want to feel strengthened by God, you have to receive his joy. How do you receive his joy? It's that you understand what he's graciously given to you that you did not deserve. Israel in this moment gets to inherit everything back. They get their city back. They get the temple back. 
how much more should the church today rejoice that we get Jesus? Like we get him. My heaven sounds awesome. Like getting some of my stuff cleaned up here on this earth, that sounds awesome. But the real prize is him. I get to be with him. I don't have to wait to heaven to be with him. I get to experience union with Christ right now. And so we get this overflowing experience of the grace of God that even though I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, God has made us alive together in Christ. So then there's this interesting thing that happens. Hey, it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They understood grace. It's the command that was given once they understood grace was rejoice. Go express this joy. Right? I just wonder if as Christians, we need to kind of recapture this idea of, of healthy Christian celebration. You know? No, we, don't, we don't give ourselves over to alcohol or we lose control or we get addicted to it. We don't give ourselves over to like the whims of partying, but we know, how to, we know how to have a good time. We know how to rejoice and celebrate. Mike, God has done some amazing stuff. Like, we, should, we should recapture the, the essence of having a good party in Jesus' name. Not falling into sin, but having a good time. So it keeps going to say, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the, what's that word? Yeah, good try. That was awesome. <laughs> Gathers them from all over. 31, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Again, he's commanding them to give thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. I have questions. I don't have time. It's another sermon. <laughs> the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. I'm skipping through this, but if you read it, what, what's happening right here is, is they're directing and sending choirs and groups of people all over the city to begin rejoicing. So that all of Jerusalem is now filled with these groups of people, these choirs where they're gonna, they're explicitly given the command, rejoice. It says, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And listen to this, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Like what if we were a people who were so marked by joy, just so saw joy as our default when we expressed that joy and we rejoiced because it's a command given by God to rejoice. Well, I'm just not much of a singer when it comes to church. Okay, that's fine. You're still commanded to rejoice. There's a lot of things that I don't feel like doing all the time, but we as Christians aren't marked by letting our feelings drive what we do, amen? And so it's commanded that we rejoice. Why? Because when we sing, we proclaim truths about who God is. We get those into our mind and we get them on our lips. So we start to align ourselves mentally with who God is. We start to realign ourselves physically with who God is as we declare that truth, as we decide in our heart that we're going to sing. Now all of a sudden, mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm starting to realign myself with rejoicing over who God is. And what that does is that invites the breakthrough of joy to be experienced in your heart. We have been saved by a loving God, forgiven of our sins, and empowered by the Spirit of God over the Prince of Darkness. Take that, Satan. Jesus has made us uniquely and gifted us with amazing gifts. He has placed us intentionally in this moment of history to be more than conquerors in his name. With all of these truths, how can we not be a people marked by deep, unshakable joy? Not all of our days will be good. 
Some are going to be sad and some will be hard, but we will in every season choose joy. We will let the unwavering reality of Jesus remind our souls to be a joyous people who dance, sing, and shout for our amazing God. Hey, this, I love to pray as we end our time together. And I really was stirred this week, and especially this morning as I was praying for you guys and over this message. Just felt like there's probably somebody in our midst today who is, who's really just never made that decision to follow Jesus. And so you've never tasted the joy that we're talking about today. And I'd be remiss if we left a, a moment right here where you didn't have a chance to just go, God, I, I wanna give myself over to you. And so that's one person that I wanna talk to. But the second person I wanna pray for today is uh, I think there's a lot of people who've made the decision to follow Jesus. And the joy has just felt really distant in this last season of life, whatever it's been, whatever the situation, but you're just not feeling joyful. And that's okay. I think God has brought you into this moment right here so that he can give you his joy again. And so if you would, would you just pray with me for those two people? God, we just we come to you knowing that you are full of love and full of mercy. You delight in giving your children the things of their heart. And so God, here we are asking to encounter you this morning. If there's anybody that's just here today right now and you, you're saying, I, I wanna experience this joy, maybe for the first time, I've never given my life to Jesus. If you wouldn't mind, would you just slip up your hand so I can see you? Oh, praise God, I see your hand. Let me just pray. Pray this with me. If your hand is up. God, I know that I've fallen short. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've gone my own way and I've rebelled after you. And so here I am, Lord, to encounter your grace. God, please forgive me for the life I've lived. But from now on, I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. God, help me trust in your resurrection over sin, over death, over shame in the grave. Help me walk in a life with you, God. For those of you who maybe just, you're saying the joy, the joy is missing and I, I need it right now. Would you just slip your hand up in the, in the room? There's no shame in this moment. We're all a family like we talked about. Praise God. Praise God. And thank you for putting your hand up. God, we just ask, here are your people. And they're even taking a step out of their comfort zone, God, to just say I, that they need you. And so God, would you meet them in this moment? Fill them with the unwavering reality of your salvation you've saved them, you've purchased them, you've redeemed them, that you're available to them in this moment. Your love can be encountered right now. And so we pray that you'd pour your love out on these people with their hands up right now. For the desperate hearts in the room, I pray that you just meet them with your presence right now, God. Fill them with your joy. Seal them with your Holy Spirit. Indwell them with the power of the resurrected Christ living in them. God, we love you. We need you. All of us are in the same boat. We're desperate for you. Eager. We're eager to just get to be with you and to spend time with you and to be reminded day by day, little by little, that you have saved us, you've rescued us. And God, I pray that that would plant a seed of joy in our, in our hearts that would grow into, into a mighty tree, a mighty tree of hope and of peace and of laughter and of happiness. God, would that be something that marks our body? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.